0: Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! And, you know how I always make those interesting comments during the game?
1: Personally, I think we got hosed on that call.
0: Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Do you believe in being yes. Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast.
1: What about a talk show host. This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park ah. on this Friday, good to have you with us. A casual Friday in the rain and light snow here in uh, Central New York. Good. Yeah, I got We're the in jeans, jeans today. Uh, je- right. I didn't have enough. Even the like, the top of the pile, laundry pile stuff, was not even acceptable today, even by my standards. To Grab and move on. I usually only see you in
0: jeans on game day morning. On the road. On the road, yeah. The yeah. Really yeah. yeah. in
1: jeans. I don't uh, I don't feel I can get away with it uh, very often, but this is the type of day where I really don't have to uh, deal with people that much. Had a couple of uh, student meetings, and then from here to basketball practice where I don't get in a habit of wearing uh, jeans to basketball practice, but uh, it's acceptable. Trust me. It's, everybody else there is in <laughs> sweatpants yeah. and shorts. So uh, who are you trying to impress, right? But uh, looking forward to uh, tomorrow night, you know, Orange and uh, Cornell, Battle of the Bayheims which we can uh, get into certainly over the uh, course of the show. We'll visit with the Jim Sadlin later in the program and get a feel for uh, his vantage point on this one and touch base with a, a couple of things where he may have unique perspective. He had a couple of sons that played basketball at a high level. He didn't uh, coach them, but be interested to hear what... Uh, he has to think that uh, Coach and Julie Beheim are going through uh, into this game, and uh, we'll look at the uh, Northeastern game too. Just a quick peek at that one ahead. Northeastern's uh, second leading scorer is uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Roland from West Hill High School. About time somebody from West Hill does yes. something <laughs> positive that we can uh, can do. So, uh, looking forward to seeing Jordan and play uh, here on uh, Tuesday night.
2: I oh, think I sense.
0: still lead West Hill in uh, detentions and in school suspensions.
1: Is that right? So yes.
0: Yeah, still hold, record holding strong.
1: I didn't see you as a real trouble You were a real troublemaker. I was a smartass. I know that. Yeah. So that was kind okay. of. Okay. I was a prankster. Boy, they must have. Uh, they must have come down hard. Did you got suspension for pranking?
0: I would take it to another level.
1: Okay. Not, not for air stuff.
0: Okay. But I. Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time
1: in detention. Yeah, well, I guess it's not too surprising <laughs> the more I think about it. Uh, w- want to uh, share some of the highlights of Coach Boeheim's, uh radio show last night. Hope that people will get in the habit of come out and, uh, coming out to join us at uh, Carrabba's. Be there every uh, Thursday night during the regular season. A couple of exceptions. There is a, a Thursday game once the uh, conference season gets rolling around, so uh, hope you'll uh, come and check that out with us. Uh, but first off would be his recap of the Ohio State game uh, with a particular nod toward the play of Marek Dolajai, who you can tell Coach Beharm really trusts uh, in terms of what he provides off the bench. The work that Marek is putting in in shooting the basketball is uh, paying off as well.
3: We made some good plays down the stretch defensively and offensively. Got a couple blocks, got a couple good rebounds, and uh, you know, that was a difference in, in the game. They were playing with a lot of confidence. They got off to a great start, and uh, we held in there. And Marek really helped us the first half coming in and hitting those two threes. They didn't expect him uh, to do that. His shooting has been getting better, and he's really worked at it. He's, you know, he's been in the gym every day working on his shot, and uh, he made a big, big difference in the game.
1: And he might make a difference in a lot of games. Last year against Cornell, Marek uh, busted out a little bit. It was a game where he and Matthew Moyer both had impact uh, on top of the usual suspects who didn't uh, shoot the ball very well last year against uh, Cornell. When you look at Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, O'Shea, Brissette, they got their points, but on a volume of shots. And then the cleanup work was done by Dolajai and Moyer. When you look at the Orange's reserves and depth this year – there's just a lot more option there. Not only can Marek play different positions but there's flexibility in this team. It's all still a work in progress and developing but Coach Beheim has more buttons he's able to push this year. In fact didn't even have to go to all of them with uh, three DNPs. Uh, Buddy Bayheim, Howard Washington, Robert Braswell. None of them played in the Ohio State game. Expect all of them to go on Saturday and uh, while those players are still in development, the ones who are in the rotation can be uh, used in different ways.
3: For sure, uh, Dolge is going to get his minutes. He's a valuable player. I like him coming off the bench because he can go in at center and forward, and it gives us a little more flexibility. And Elijah Hughes is a shooter, so you want that shooter in the game more. A guy can come off the bench, although last night Marek came in and made a couple big threes. But Um, It gives us a little better depth. So when we got in foul trouble last night, we had, you know, Morex used to play in center. That was good. So we were able to handle that. Uh, When Frank got in foul trouble, Jalen Carey's been playing well. He finished the game very solidly. He he was like plus 18. Some of that was circumstances, but he was good in the game. And he happened to be in there when we made two or three threes, which uh, is always nice for a point guard. But he made some good plays made his foul shots down the stretch and was good on defense. So we feel we can play those six guys any time, and we feel our two centers are good. We think that Buddy is going to come in and help us off the bench. We think he can shoot it and he will shoot it. He just hasn't been, but neither was O'Shea Brissett and he made him last night. Five, five games is nothing. Six games, that's nothing. You have to get time and, uh, you know, uh, Elijah Hughes started out very slowly and now he's shooting over 40% from the three in the last few games. So I think that's all stuff that uh, will work out. But it's good to have that extra player. Last year we were stuck really with Barama, especially being hurt, with just we had Matthew Moyer coming in and no guards. And Barama coming in hurt. So so we couldn't have survived uh, that kind of game uh, last year. Uh, We're very fortunate.
1: Fortunate to have that many bodies to foul out three and uh, still see it through to the end, a seventy-two sixty-two victory at Ohio State. The oranges' uh, first win against a major conference program this year, first win against a ranked team this year, which uh, got them to four and two in the season. They meet a four and three Cornell team tomorrow night, and of course, this one being billed around here as the uh, Battle of the Beheimes. Uh, last year, uh, Syracuse had the lopsided win against Cornell, but Jimmy Bayheim is a freshman for the Big Red. Hit the basket for the game's first points. He went on to 11 points in the game. He didn't really have the type of season that played that up as a a, a regular occurrence over the course of the season. Jimmy last year averaged uh, just more than three points per game, made only six three pointers uh, for the season, and uh, had remember the 11 points there in that uh, that opening game with the early three. This year, uh, much more consistent. He is the second leading scorer for the Big Red at uh, 11.7 points per game to this point. So uh, there's that, and you have the added uh, existence of Buddy Beheim, and not only will he play in this game, he's a guy that uh, Syracuse is trying to get going for a very specific uh, sniper-type role that he might have on the team as a, a three-point shooter, and that puts uh, Julie Beheim in a, uh, a tough spot with uh, split loyalties, as it turns out, Saturday night.
3: She'll be nervous. It's tough to... when. Both your sons are playing out there. It's tough to, you know, it's a tough game for her. But, uh, you know, I just try to focus on our team. I mean, we got so many things we got to get better at that uh, it's uh, hard to think about that matchup. We just got to play better. We're getting better, but we still, we have a long way to go.
1: And a lot of season left to do it. So not in December and that uh, first game of December this weekend as the Orange take on Uh, Cornell. So that was uh, from last night's Jim Beheim show. We'll have more of that uh, in due time and another show with Coach on Thursday. Syracuse women lost uh, close last night. Had the lead late and uh, could not secure enough uh, rebounds and get enough shots to drop uh, near the end of the game at Minnesota. So they take their second L of the season. Both have been on the road against uh, ranked teams. Still to come for us here on In the Booth we'll have Cameron Lynch in uh, his normal Tuesday spot. We didn't have a show this Tuesday so we'll check in with cam and the bucks here in just a moment and then jim sadelin to follow in the booth brought to you by ch insurance on espn radio this is in the booth with matt park in the booth brought to you as always by ch insurance and unusually on tuesdays they bring us cam lynch today ch insurance is bringing us cam on a friday we appreciate your flexibility my friend uh, how did the uh, off day go for you on tuesday
4: most definitely, man. Thank you for having me. The off day went great on Tuesday. Uh, it's, it's Friday now, so it's getting time for game time pretty soon.
1: Friday is the most serious practice day of the week, right, for an NFL player?
4: Oh, most definitely. Fast Friday is your last day to put everything in place for the game plan, for the game. So, yeah, I say the best for last, and it's the, it's the most important. You
1: guys have a three game homestand here, Cam, uh, coming off a win against the 49ers. You got the Panthers at home this week. That's pretty rare to be able to settle in for that period of time. How does that feel for you?
4: It feels great. Uh, You know, we can get some momentum on our side. We got some last week against the 49ers. So, you know, it's our second bout with the Panthers. It's going to be a heavyweight match, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. So I just can't wait to to see what we do uh, this weekend.
1: I guess that's to be expected, right? A division opponent. just the whole concept, you know, one of the many many differences between college and pro football. The idea that you're going to play somebody twice in the same season when you're gearing up for a second meeting with somebody. How does that go in terms of the game planning? And uh, you pretty, pretty much there aren't secrets between the two sides, I would imagine.
4: Oh no, no secrets. Uh, at this point, it's up to the coaches to put us in you know different positions they did last week or the last time we played them, but. For for now, you know you know who's lined up against you really from from the last moment you met. Uh, so it's just round two, man. You kind of know what they got in their arsenal. So it's uh, whoever you know changed their game the best, uh, you know, from the time being and have it, who who has adapted and got better since that last match. So it'll be exciting to see, and I can't wait.
1: The first game against the Panthers was earlier in November and a loss for you guys in Charlotte, forty two twenty eight. I've often heard it talked about where. The team coming off a win in that situation is almost the underdog the next time around just because what what do you tweak if you win? Whereas because the Buccaneers lost, you guys have a little bit of a roadmap for the types of things that you might want to tweak meeting them again. Do you feel that way that you're in a position of confidence, uh, not only coming off a win yourself, but being at home, uh, playing a team that uh, you are capable of beating, but uh, now you get a second crack at them?
4: Oh yeah, most definitely. You you know what to, you know what's coming. You know what to expect. You know the first time, man. They you know they came out fast and they just started going. So um, you know they, they ran a lot of reverses, a lot of trick plays. But now we have all that in the bag. So you know now it'll be like shooting fish in the barrel. We kind of we we know what they're gonna do. Uh, we hope we do. We'll adjust anything that they do different. And uh, I think we'll get them this game.
1: Well, you'll be at home and a chance to do that. We always like your perspective, Cam, when you can share it as somebody who's been on the field with the best athletes in the game. And when it comes to pure athleticism, there aren't many that are at the same level as Cam Newton. What can you tell us about lining up against this guy and, and what he brings to the table?
4: Oh, man. He's so – when we play the Panthers, we have to defend 11 players, all 11 players, right, um, in the air and on the ground. You know, both a lot of teams, you know, you play – some teams like a Russell Wilson or a Dak, or you know, you gotta you gotta cover the quarterback, and this is this will be one of those games where we have to count for every guy in the run game, um, and in the pass game, you know, especially with man coverage, right? Guys are taking their guys down the field. Cam Newton, if he breaks that pocket, he can scramble, so uh, it'll be important for us to keep him in there and, uh, and keep him contained.
1: Cam Lynch is our guest. You can uh, get him on Twitter at Cam Lynch fifty, and if you're Cameron Lynch, I'm sorry, spell it out at Cameron Lynch fifty, and if you go there. You'll see uh, Cam's tribute to the uh, Uplifting Athletes, which is an organization at a number of colleges, but uh, here at Syracuse, kind of sparked by Rob Long and a handful of others. Uh, Sam Heckel on the team now is uh, vital in it. Uh, Sam Rogers, the past long snapper. These are the guys that uh, breathe some life into this uh, program that raises money for research into rare diseases, which is really a, a passion and now a profession for Rob Long. And how did you get involved, Cam?
4: Well, in college at Syracuse, we did a lot, a couple of thons and we we did some things as well to raise money for you know uplifting athletes. So we've been we've been involved with this for a while, and this was an opportunity for me to to for me to show love and give back to the you know Syracuse community and show love to Rob. Man, um, he, he went through a lot, and he's pretty much a legend in our community at Syracuse. So this is a tribute to him and everyone else who's who's fighting these these battles, and um, it, it's a tough thing. So. I'm glad I, I had the, I had the platform to do it, and um and it went out went pretty well.
1: There's a picture there, and I saw something uh, somewhere else where it was you kind of unboxing your uh, delivery. Those are some sweet looking kicks, though. The he uh, describe them there. You've got orange uh, cleats painted with the uh, uplifting athletes logo on there.
4: Oh yeah, so it's it's um, specified to to my liking. Uh, you know, he asked me what I wanted to do. I said I want to support Rob. And I was like, you know what? I need that Syracuse orange on there. And, man, I bleed orange wherever I go. People know it. Everyone knows it. Uh, my backpack, I have a Syracuse orange backpack, T-chain, everything. So um, I had to specify it that way. I have the S on the side. Um, I have the orange in the front by the uplifting athletes, uh, athletes uh, logo. It's pretty sick. Um, you know, you guys can go check it out uh, on my page and uh, on the Buccaneers page and then on Syracuse page as well.
1: So – specify the rules if you can cam i know you guys get busted if you have any uh uniform violations but the there's once a year where they do the my cause my cleats so what are you allowed to do to show off those cleats
4: oh man you can do anything you can get them painted color any any way you want um so i might i might have to just put mine on ice man i think i'm gonna wear them for warm-ups and then put them on ice and i think i want to donate them to rob uh give those to him um because they're for him man and um you know just just give back and give those to him and you can pretty much rock any color you want so it's pretty awesome
1: but you can you could wear them in the game this one week only right
4: yeah just one week only this is the only week uh, that <laughs> it's allowed by the NFL to wear these cleats and um i don't i really don't want to scuff them up cuz if you if you all take a look at them they're they're pretty orange so i don't want anything bad to go to go you know anything wrong to go with them so um you know we can wear them the whole game i think i'm just going to wear mine for warm ups and give them to rob
1: Okay, very good. And uh, so they'll be handed over in in good shape and uh, you get to fly the flag a little bit. So we'll be looking for uh, all the NFL players uh, with their causes and and uh, a good way to sort of uh, get attention for a lot of different individuals that are raising money for a good cause. And uh, those will they may be clash with the Buccaneers pewter, but they used to wear the creamsicle orange back in the day. So maybe they fit right in.
4: Yeah, and it's our color rush jerseys, too. So we're wearing all red, and I have bright orange. So <laughs> they, they, they're, gonna, they're definitely going to clash, but people will see them. I'm going to take some pictures of them, uh, you know, smile for the camera and, and show Syracuse proud, show uplifting athletes proud, and show Rob proud. All right,
1: good stuff. Uh, Cam Lynch, I guess, just for another minute or so. I guess since the last time we had you on, Cam, the uh, all ACC voting came out. Syracuse better represented than in any other year in the ACC, which is no surprise given. The wins that they've had. Uh, what did you take away from that? Uh, a freshman safety was not only first-team All-Conference, but uh, Andre Cisco was the defensive rookie of the year in the ACC.
4: Yeah, that's that's big time, man. Um, you know, knowing the ACC, uh, knowing the type of recruits that come in the ACC, the speed, the talent, um, and that that speaks to last week's volume for the recruiting going on at Syracuse. We're bringing in great guys to to make a splash, man, and you know, a lot of those guys did their thing, uh, you know, with Dungey and and everyone that, that got recognized. So uh, that's just a, uh, you know, hat off to Syracuse, uh, the Syracuse University. Uh, like I said, the scouting um, and the coaching staff, man, they did a great job getting these guys in to, and putting them in a the position to be successful and be one of the best safeties in Cisco, uh,
1: in the ACC. Yeah, Coach Babers, a little bit of a snubola, finishing uh, second in the uh, Coach of the Year balloting to uh, Debo Sweeney. We actually have some comments from Coach Beheim on that that we may play. He offered those up uh, during his radio show last night. So, Cam, uh, good to catch up with you as always. Best of luck this week against uh, another Cam, Cam Newton and the Panthers. And uh, we'll try to check in with you on uh, Tuesday of next week as well. You can tell us how it went with the cleats.
4: Most definitely, man. I think I appreciate you, and, uh, and go Qs, Go Bucks.
1: That's right. Uh, Cam Lynch, in fact, his next game, not to get uh, too far ahead, the Bucks take on the Saints, who were just clipped last night for uh, only their second loss of the season. So uh, as we continue here on uh, In the Booth, we'll visit with Jim Sadlin, talk about the uh, Cornell game coming up and whatever might be on Coach Sadlin's mind, I'd like to get him in uh, in this platform. Yes, Pauly. Do you, to, do you
0: want me to turn my mic on? Do you want me to fire the— uh... Sure, you
3: could you
1: throw that out there. You so got to hit the button, though.
3: No? coach of the year. That's some bias there. That Dabo, he's a really good coach, but they were picked first and they finished first. And we were picked last and finished second and almost beat Clemson at Clemson. So that should have been like a 50 to 20 vote. And Dabo Sweeney would probably be the first guy to say that. But uh, that, that's just crazy. And they vote for other coaches to, you know, this makes no sense. But that's the way those things go sometimes.
0: Southern cooking?
1: I don't think that per se. (laughs) I think it's just what you're familiar with. And I just don't think... I think in his case, I I feel it more home cooking, Southern cooking, however you want to phrase it or bias. I feel it more related to the coach of the year part of it than any really any of the rest. Uh, I know Coach Saddle wants to say, oh, I feel bad for Eric Dungy. You know, Dungy was the second or third best quarterback in the league coming in he's the second or third best quarterback as viewed by the conference going out I think that's a harder one to bleed for I, I you know personally could he have gotten consideration over Trevor Lawrence of Clemson absolutely um, could he been up there with Ryan Finley absolutely but he didn't I'm I'm more surprised personally about Dino Babers not uh, getting coach of the year in the league and it's hard because I will be among those that would say these coaches of Good teams, they deserve to win those awards too. Sometimes, uh, I just think that you tend to give it to those coaches: LeBron, Saban, Dabo. You know, Gretzky was the MVP. well, like eight years in a row? You know what I mean? They never really got sick of it. But um, I think those type of guys tend to win them in the absence of some other great story. But this year there was the good story. There was the team pick last. There was the team that had finished last. Forget about being picked last, they'd finished last for a number of years in a row and had won only four games and more than doubled that this year. I think uh, Dino Babers had a, a tremendous case, and that's not to take anything away from Debo Sweeney, but uh, he has so much with which to work. The pressure on him is just a little bit different. And uh and maybe that's an argument for him. I don't know. But uh, that's the way it did shake out. And I don't think Dito Babers is going to lose a lot of sleep over it. He's going to get his bowl assignment on Sunday. And then we'll have uh, more to talk about. Uh, should address part of that bowl stuff here before we wrap it up uh, this week. Before that uh, pick is made on Sunday. We'll share some of that before we wrap the program. Jim Sadlin next in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio on a Friday afternoon. Good to have you along with us. Haven't always done Friday shows because of travel to road games and such. Good to uh, be in here today, the day prior to a game day. We will have a show next Tuesday on a game day itself when the Orange take on Northeastern in the Dome. But let's not get uh, too far ahead of ourselves. we got plenty to rehash and to check in on with our friend uh, Jim Saddleman who joins us now. Hello, Coach. How are you? I'm wonderful, Matthew. How are you on this lovely... Uh Winter day here in Syracuse, New York? <laughs> it, it feels that way, huh? Just kind of a, a dreary-type day. That's all right. So we'll uh, we'll fill it up with basketball talk. That's uh, one way to, to lighten the spirits, huh? Sounds good. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from the Columbus trip?
5: You know, I think that uh, the fact that they got down early, Syracuse did, and uh, didn't panic and I hung in there and made some. Uh, Marek Dolja came in and made some big plays, especially with O'Shea Brissett on the on the bench with three fouls. And uh, uh, you know, I just thought that it was a, kind of a, a a calming influence Frank Howard gave them. Didn't score a lot of points, didn't do get did a lot of assists, but it kind of gives them a a calming influence. And nobody got panicky, and uh, they were able to come back. And I thought that their defense especially in the second half, uh, second part of the first half, and then the whole second half was really outstanding. It was more like the defenses that we were accustomed to seeing for Syracuse in the last few years.
1: Coach Beheim gave his team a lot of credit for really dealing with the officiating, and that's not purely to be critical of the officiating, although everybody I think was coming off that game. It's just the sheer volume of fouls alone meant for an uneven type game, and that's got to be hard for players, right? You get all charged up, you waited around all day, uh, in terms of the way these games are anticipated, and then the stop and start nature of a game like that keeps everybody out of their rhythm.
5: Yeah, you're right, and uh, you made mention of it a few times during the game, in the broadcast itself, and that it, there was no flow at all. It was just you know one or one maybe two times up the court, up and down the court, and there was a whistle blown and. It's hard for players, it's hard for coaches, it's hard for anybody to, to get into anything going with that. And, and it just, you know, I mean, uh, I've i had a lot of um, interaction with officials throughout the years, both as a coach and, and as the director of officiating for the Atlantic 10. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to be critical of officiating. And I don't mean it in this particular game. I just thought that they called way too many touch fouls and they called too many fouls you and I both mentioned it. there was three or four plays that there were loose balls and guys were just doing what they're supposed to do, going after the ball and diving after the ball, both a 50, 50 play. And they blew whistles on all of those. And uh, I just thought that they could have swallowed the whistle a little bit more and let these guys play. And uh, they didn't, but Syracuse to their credit overcame all that. And uh, when, when you don't, You know, when one team shoots 35 free throws and the other team shoots 19, and a lot of those were in the last two or three minutes of the game when Ohio State was trying to come back, I thought was a a real credit to Syracuse and to the coaches, actually.
1: Jim Sadlin is our guest, uh, former uh, supervisor of officials with the uh, Big East and Atlantic 10 conferences, so you know your way around that. and You've had those interactions, uh, certainly from both a coach perspective and in that role, and you've dealt uh, with officials uh, really as a teammate in a lot of ways. I don't want to spend all show on this, but is it a matter sometimes of the threshold being set too low early in the game for what is a foul? And then if that's a foul two minutes in, then you're gonna be calling a lot of fouls.
5: Yeah, for sure. And you know, the one thing you you don't want to ever do from an officiating standpoint, and they all know this, is you don't want to be calling a different game in the second half than you call in the first half. I mean, that's the whole premise of what officiating is supposed to be it's supposed to be across the board you know if it's a foul as you say in the beginning of the game then it's a foul at the end of the game we know that that doesn't necessarily hold true we see this changed an awful lot after halftime when they kind of get together in the in the locker room and they say hey you know we just blew the whistle 20 times here we can't do that it'll let these guys play a little bit or vice versa you know so i think that it's a uh, it's a hard job, Matt. It's a really really hard job to be an official in basketball. Any any sport, but basketball especially because it's so fast and there's so much physical play around the basket and uh so they're going to get an inordinate amount of criticism I think by fans and by coaches and by everybody else and and you know sometimes it's warranted some most of the time it's not quite frankly.
1: No, I agree with you and uh it's a lot harder than than uh I think fans certainly make it out to be, and uh, mm-hmm. you know and that game was to me. Forget about who the fouls were on as much as just the the amount of fouls called. I think uh, made it a less than appealing game. But w- one thing for Syracuse is, you know, in terms of talking about their chances to win games, getting to the free throw line is going to be a thing for them uh, over the course of the season. That's uh, going to tend to tilt games in their favor. Tyus Battle especially good at it. And as we kind of move things going forward here, Coach. The concept that the more shots that are made, not only are you getting those points, but you're opening the floor for driving lanes, and that should make Battle, Hughes, and Brissett all better players.
5: Yeah, no question of that. You know, if you can make a few jump shots. Remember Jim Bayam once said to me, this is going way back now, we're talking about Lazar Sims, and he said that when, when it was during Lazar's his senior year, and he said he doesn't have to make a lot of jump shots. he just got to make one jump shot. If he can make one, that means that they have to come out and guard him. And then, as you say, it opens up for everything else inside and drives and so on. And I think that's the same premise that you would look at with Syracuse today, and that uh, they can make a few jump shots. I don't expect them to shoot, quite frankly, the way they shot the other day—48 to 46 percent from the threes. That they're not that good of a shooting team. That statistics don't lie tremendously on that. They've been very poor, but they had a great game, great shooting game. So if they can get into that mid to high 30s shooting the ball from the three-point line. That's all they need, and and it really does open up for a uh, Tyus battle who, who really defensively you can't stay in front of. He's quick, he's strong, he's got a great move off the off the dribble, and uh, same thing with O'Shea and with Elijah. I mean, those guys can grit to the basket. And we always talk about Syracuse is not a great half-court offensive team. Well, what they need to do then is they need to get to the foul line and they need to get some transition baskets to get some easy points everything else seems to be a difficult chore for them in the half court but if they can do those other things and make fouls and get some easy layups then it makes the game a lot easier for them.
1: Jim Saddle at our guest for another minute or so and uh, on top of being a great uh, basketball man you're also a great father coach and I would be interested in your perspective you know you're friends with coach Beheim. you're friends with John Beeline put us in his shoes tomorrow he doesn't want to talk about it clearly but yeah. put us in his shoes for this game your, your kids both played uh, pretty decent basketball just not for you necessarily um, yeah. how do you think this is going to be for Coach and Julie?
5: Well, I don't think it's going to be real easy I think they'll be pr- you know proud on the one side that their two boys, Jimmy and and Buddy, have been able to accomplish what they have, along with Jamie up at University of Rochester. But um, for what these two guys have been able to accomplish to get to major college basketball and playing is something certainly they're going to be proud of. But at the same time, this is a difficult situation to be put into right now. Um, You know, you certainly want your boys to play well. You want Syracuse to win this game. Um, But, you know, so you're rooting a little bit. You know, and, and and you know, Jimmy's in a little different situation. The buddy is from a, a, a perspective of national, you know, and recognition and 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 what these programs have done. But you know, it's not an easy situation for either one of them to be in. I, I want, I know they want both of them to play very well and be successful tomorrow. Um, and I think it's important just to step back one second from Buddy's standpoint. Buddy didn't play against Ohio State, and, you know, that was a hard game for him to get into. It was a very fast, rough, physical game. Not sure that he was quite ready for that. Tomorrow I think he will be. There's a, busy, a game that he can come in and play well at and, and get some time, and I'm sure they'll be matched up a few times against each other here, which will be interesting. But it will not It'll be enjoyable on one side, I think, for the Bayhams, but on the other side it probably won't because you certainly don't want to you cringe every time if they make a mistake or miss a shot or do anything else. So I hope they both play very well
1: tomorrow, and I hope Syracuse wins. I agree. And you know, to me, it's such a unique position, and none of us are ever really going to be in it. For the most part, it's a 0.1% type position to be in. Right. I would hope they get more enjoyment out of it than stress. It's a, it's an accomplishment no matter what happens to have you know th- they have three siblings playing college sports which is pretty rare they've got two playing division 1 basketball against one another uh, that's an accomplishment i don't care how the game uh, plays out uh, you know it's it still is a pretty impressive uh, statement about the work ethic of the kids and the nurturing that they Definitely. were given and the opportunities uh, you know certainly they have opportunities and they took advantage of them okay last thing here coach and we'll talk about it uh, certainly on the game broadcast when time arises but I uh, thought in this forum would give you a chance to Tell us about uh, Jordan Rowland. Uh, I know you, you keep an eye on West Hill up there, and uh, he comes in with Northeastern here on Tuesday night.
5: Yeah, I'm really happy for him. He's a, he's a terrific kid. He's a great worker. He's um, got a great coach in, in Kevin King, uh, former Syracuse basketball player, Final Four basketball player in the 70s, and he's done a great job at West Hill. Jordan is a, a terrific player, transferred from GW, had a huge game earlier in the year, 35 points and a big win, that uh, Northeastern said it's been a contributor to their program, no question. And I think uh, you know he'll be nervous coming in here playing. He knows all these guys. I'm sure he's played with them in the summer and everything. So it'll be a, it'll be a difficult game in that sense for him. But an- another example of a guy who's worked hard and he's gotten the opportunity and he's taken advantage of it.
1: Okay, sounds good. Uh, always appreciate uh, your insights, Coach. We'll see you up at practice uh, maybe this afternoon, and if not, uh, tomorrow night. Okay. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks. All right. Jim Sadlin, our uh, game day partner, uh, you'll hear him uh, tomorrow night as we have the call of the Orange and Cornell, which is not until an 8 o'clock start. So uh, those that are, if you're going to be in angst over Beheim versus Beheim, you got another hour uh, to wait going into that one Saturday night. When we come back, do we care with Tommy? We'll take your phone calls if you'd like to sneak one in at 315-437-7644. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Hey friends, join us Sunday at 6 we break down the Syracuse football bowl assignment Here from Dino Babers and the Syracuse players Give a look at the Orange's upcoming opponent in said bowl game All Sunday night at 6 right here on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1 And it left out
0: the most important part It's brought to you by Wildcat Pizza Pub well, That's
1: probably the most important part to have in life. library Hell of an operation you're running here, Polly. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No way. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't Get you
2: your popcorn ready. So we reported yesterday that Greg Robinson got the defensive coordinator job at North Carolina, or reports were saying that they did. Well, now reports are coming out that he is no longer in consideration. He... Was at the facilities, he was getting a tour of the facilities, it looked like he was getting the job. He will not be getting the job at North Carolina. Um, News was met with immediate negative backlash, both internally and externally, when it was first announced, and then sources came out that the decision had not been made, and now it is looking like that it's not going to happen.
1: Well, it's easy to see, as we talked about it, the jokes and that type of stuff uh, write themselves. We were even... Uh, saying yesterday in the office is kind of like th- those movies. You know, Morgan Freeman did one, Clint Eastwood did one, where it's like the old guys go back and rob the bank. You know, it's, sure. <laughs> here's uh, the 65 and up uh, college <laughs> coaches getting back together for one last uh, go at it. And uh, you know, my take on this is still the same. I know Greg Robinson and Mac Brown are close friends. I was trying to stick up for Robinson yesterday. I know it didn't go well here. I just. I've had enough already. He doesn't need to any longer be the uh, punchline or the brunt of jokes. He's allowed to go on and work. His record as a defensive coordinator is mixed, but by saying mixed, there's some good in there sure. too, and I could see why he could be brought on as a consultant or, or what have you. That all being said, I wouldn't advise somebody necessarily to be hiring uh, 65 and up coaches at this point, particularly after you've hired Mac Brown. The idea would be he's the CEO. Now get a couple of young up-and-comers that know what they're doing, that can really recruit, that are going to grind – And Greg Robinson is a great person, but doesn't fit that description. So um, maybe he still settles in as as some sort of consultant or friend. And if that happens, then best of luck to to, uh, Coach Robinson and Laura and the the whole gang. And if he decides to stay retired and just be a friend of Mac Brown, good for him too.
2: Sure. Just wanted to quickly update that from yesterday that we said. Uh, Some baseball offseason news. Uh, The Mets and Mariners, they're in the final stages of a blockbuster deal that would send Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, the closer at 56 saves last year, to the Mets for Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Jared Kalenich, who was the sixth overall pick in last year's draft, the third ranked Mets prospect, and 62nd overall in minor league baseball, and Justin Dunn, who is another uh, top 100 prospect in baseball. For Robinson Cano, who's 36 years old, five years left in his deal at 24 million a year. Yes, the Mariners seem to probably be eating some of this contract. But still an interesting decision by the Mets, who I guess seem to be in win-now mode.
1: Well, the Mets are in New York. They don't feel as though they can do a complete rebuild. In fact, that had to do with their general manager hiring. My understanding is at least one of the candidates, or maybe more, said, "Okay, we're going to strip this thing down to the walls, which has worked in other places the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, the Houston Mariners Astros, are about to The are start Yeah, well, and, they and the, have
0: the Mariners have Well, there's sold no question. Out. And yeah. the
1: Mariners are, are dumping all the salary. The problem is the Mariners are pretty good. If they, they were they were yeah. pretty good. They were they're just caught up in this middle ground of if you're kind of just outside the playoffs you know it's not an awesome place to be. If you're just good in pro sports, mediocrity. You're in the well. That's not mediocrity. They're better than mediocre. Sure, just above. They're yeah. they're in the middle ground where you're not in the playoffs yet. You're not losing. It's not like you're laughable. And they're going to go through laughable here. It it looks like, and that's sad because great ballpark, uh, great place to be in the summer. What I hate, I hate the number of bad teams that there are. Even though I understand the economics around it.
2: They have the longest playoff drought in US professional sports as well. So it's tough yeah. that they're not going to go through five a five-year rebuild now.
1: Apparently, yeah. Yeah.
2: And um yeah, just a tough they're in a tough division with the Astros, uh the Rangers another. But we thought last year, we thought the Rays Rangers and we thought the terrible. Marlins. Yeah. yeah, we thought the Rays and the Marlins though were going to be terrible, and the Rays turned out to be a 90-win team. I yeah. don't know if the Mariners can do that, but Florida Florida baseball seemed to be horrible last off season both teams rebuilding and they both did not turn out to be as bad as we expected
1: yeah and again they were more in the middle ground than than bad uh you know here with the I can't go chapter and verse on the Mariners roster but I know they had a lot of good players and so now they're moving yeah. them off and uh that's unfortunate it seems like if they had added a piece or two now maybe they're there
2: yep um Spurs head coach Greg Popovich said yesterday that there's no beauty in basketball anymore because of all the three point shooting and this was actually something that I mentioned. A couple of weeks ago, when we talked about the Warriors, I I agree with Greg Pavich. I really do not think that he that basketball is not being played the way it was meant to be with all this three point shooting. I understand the analytics tell you to do it, but it's just not. I don't find it enjoyable to watch.
1: Well, I don't watch enough NBA to comment. I'll take your. Word. I understand that this is a common uh, concept. I would say that about a sport that I do watch more of, which is baseball, and it's become less fun to watch because of the yeah. analytics community and and whatever. I love watching the Warriors. They shoot a ton of threes. And to me, that is beautiful. You know, pounding it uh, with a seven footer back to the basket and back and I don't really enjoy watching that. So, um, you know, these things ebb and flow. There's a cycle to all of it. And it's easy for Popovich to say that now because his team is, for the first time in forever, is not good.
0: Well, watching his teams is pretty, though. Yeah. The, the, exactly ball the ball in the Spurs is yes. disgusting. And. Uh, it, He'd shut up and enjoy the game. I mean, it's fun to watch. I love watching the NBA now, and I never watched before. I go out of my way to watch regular season. Yeah. Games, I mean, so. a, well.
1: a game that I didn't think to watch last night. There was other stuff on. I was trying to watch a little bit of the Bobby Knight. I watched a little bit of the uh, NFL game. But had we been in the NBA business uh, last night, the Raptors and, and Spurs, Raptors and Warriors, yep. was an awesome game last night. You guys scores fifty one and loses. I mean, that that's a pretty interesting. kind of deal. All right, thank you, Tommy. Last couple of seconds here. This is not the time for it. I just want to say this. Bowl announcement coming out on Sunday, uh, and we'll see how it goes, but one thing that's got to happen here in the future is getting better about improving a team's bowl situation. you know, got to be perceived as more of a bowl ticket source here, a roundup when those uh, selections come. We'll see how it plays out on Sunday.